Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 30. Let's read God's Word together. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, Leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we lift up the preaching of your word this morning, this description of Gethsemane and the suffering of your son. Touch our hearts, Holy Spirit, with the power of the gospel and cause our awareness, Father, of your great love to come home into our hearts in a deep and refreshing and an abiding way. Lord, if there's anybody here who has not turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation, cause their hearts to believe in you, Lord, and to repent of their sins. 
to turn from their sins and be saved. Lord, for your precious people, your church, your, your sheep, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to be greatly encouraged from the truth of your word here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My wife, Shannon, sent me an article from Relevant Magazine from a columnist named Stephen Matson, who wrote this. Many churches market Christianity as an easy and painless solution to all of life's problems. Instead of introducing Christianity as a path to having a relationship with God requiring time, energy, work, and intense dedication, it becomes a product that promises much without hardly any sacrifice. Having this mindset causes our expectations to become superficial. Baptisms, prayers of faith, and declarations of solidarity to God become nothing more than posturizing. Little, if anything, actually changes within our everyday lives. In fact, we actually expect things to get favorably better for us. We Assume God will shine down divine blessings, salary increases, better parking spaces, health improvements, increased social popularity, and championships for our favorite sports teams. We want our faith to work for us, not the other way around. We want our faith to work for us. We treat He says Christianity is a a product that is meant to deliver personal happiness to to us rather than as a pathway by which we are called to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. We see in this passage here describing Gethsemane as the pathway of the cross, the pathway of self-denial, Following Jesus is a path that indeed requires time and energy, work and intense dedication, a followership of Jesus Christ that says, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I will hold nothing back in my devotion to you. And instead, there is so often today sort of an easy believism where Christianity really is treated as a a product that, let me just... Quickly here, believe easily and then pursue the good life just like the rest of the world. And all Christianity to me is is hell, hell insurance, many would say, rather than a pathway of sacrifice and devotion following Jesus Christ, a pathway of repentance and faith. Jesus here in this passage shows us that The pathway of obedience is not an easy pathway. It's not easy. But rather, the road that leads to eternal life is hard. And we need to be reminded that the Christian life is not easy. It's hard. And we need to reject the notions of treating Christianity as a mere product that's meant to enhance my life in the ways I want it to enhance my life without any cost, without any sacrifice of devotion from me. I want an easy Jesus rather than this pathway here that God prescribes in the Scriptures of counting the cost daily and following Jesus. And Jesus here shows us in this passage such amazing devotion to God. He shows us just unfailing obedience and great sacrifice for His people. And I was marveling as I was studying this passage this week and I was thinking about, oh, that God would have loved us like this. Oh, that God would have loved us like this. I prayed at that. Sentiment that thought would just permeate your soul, brothers and sisters, this morning. That God would have loved you like this. 
So we see the great lengths that God has gone to demonstrate and prove His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ went through this all the way to death on a cross for us. There's three points in the message this morning. The first is this, good shepherd, good shepherd. Secondly, sorrowful son. And thirdly, loving father. Good shepherd, sorrowful son, loving father. This description here of the good shepherd in point one is seen in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 30. You see, and we looked at this last week, that they sung a hymn after they were reclining at the table at the Last Supper, and then immediately Jesus needs to contemplate what he's going to face next. He says to his disciples in verse 31, you will all fall away because of me this night. You will all, the King James Version talks about, you will be offended by me. You will fall away because of me this night for it's written. And he quotes a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This prophecy from the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep shows the principle that is prophesied about in Zechariah that, that God is going to send his shepherd and his shepherd is going to be struck and the sheep are going to be scattered. And in that prophecy, it's described that Two-thirds of the sheep or the people are going to to perish, but there's going to be this remnant, this one-third who are truly going to be called, quote, my people. They're going to be refined through this time. And Jesus no doubt had this in mind as he was even taking encouragement, but also seeing the reality that he's going to be deserted and even his very own disciples are going to flee from him this night, taking encouragement that God as this denial and as these falling aways are happening, even in the midst of this, he is saving and setting apart his remnant and preserving his remnant through the sufferings he's about to go through this night. Strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Indeed, they came to him, verse 47, with swords and clubs to strike the shepherd. They struck him this night and later on verse 67 of Matthew chapter 26, they struck him. In Matthew 27 verse 30, it says that they struck him on the head. In one gospel account, it says they struck him on the head again and again. Strike the shepherd. Jesus submits himself to be struck by wicked men For our sins, brothers and sisters, he takes the punishment and the suffering of the cross willingly to die for the sins of his people. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But immediately after he quotes this prophecy from Zechariah, he shares words of hope and comfort here in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 26. He says, but after I am raised up, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but he reminds them of the glorious truth of the resurrection, though it just goes over their head in this context, but no doubt afterwards it really encouraged them greatly. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. These are words of comfort from the good shepherd, words meant to encourage them and to lead them gently in the midst of their suffering and distress that they're later this night going to face as what Jesus says about them all falling away is going to come true. Jesus encourages them here that I'm going to be raised up and I'm going to go before you to Galilee. He's talking about after he's raised from the dead, he knows that their thinking in just a few hours is going to be that he's getting arrested, he's going to suffer and he's going to die And the only thought that the disciples were going to have is that we are going to go back to our homes in Galilee, up north from Judea, and we're going to leave the one 
in whom we had placed all our hopes. We're going to leave him dead back in Judea. And Jesus says, not so. Not so. I'm going to be raised up. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you to Galilee. I'm going to, I'm going to go there ahead of you. And we see that later on in the gospel accounts, Jesus indeed does meet them raised from the dead in Galilee. And I can't wait to get to that part in Matthew later on as we arrive there. But he says, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's comforting his dear disciples, even in the face of their falling away. How kind and gracious our Savior. What a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and who gently leads his people, even in the midst of his people's wanderings and strayings and fallings away. Look at verse 33. Peter rises up in self-sufficient pride, self-reliant strength and says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So Jesus just said, you're all going to fall away. But no, Peter steps in and says, if everyone else does, I will not. And we see the resolve here of a very zealous man clinging to his hopes of a victorious an immediately victorious messianic cause that Jesus wasn't going to suffer and die. He was going to be preserved and live. He still hadn't grasped the reality that Jesus said that I'm going to be victorious, but it's going to be through my suffering, my passion, my death, and then my subsequent resurrection from the dead. Here, Peter still displaying just the, the, the zeal of a zealot Seeking to say, hey, I'll lay down my life for this cause. Never did Peter have the true ownership that really it would be through the appearance of utter defeat first that Jesus would rise victorious from the dead. And tonight was going to be a night where if your eyes had seen it, all you would think was defeat. And Peter did not have even a category for the utter defeat and the crushing of Jesus being taken away by captors to suffering and death. He had this improper self-confidence in his own resolves. He was self-reliant, self-sufficient. There was this resolution in himself that would soon be replaced by denying Jesus three times, really within hours. Three times in cowardice. And he goes on. In verse 34. Truly I tell you this very night Jesus says. Before the rooster crows you will deny me three times. According to the Romans. The hours between midnight and three in the morning. Were the hours where the rooster would crow. And Jesus is saying to Peter. You're going to deny me Peter. You're going to fall away. Verse 35, Peter says to him again, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And he is so emphatic here. And all the disciples joined in and said the same. And yet, they would all flee from him. And they would all leave him utterly alone as he suffers. And Peter himself would deny Jesus three times in fulfillment of this prophecy here. In great cowardice. The close, loving bonds, brothers and sisters, shared at the Last Supper, only moments before, is replaced by the disciples' disloyalty and cowardice. In verse 56, the closing verse of this unit we read this morning, it says, all the disciples left him and fled. He was utterly alone. They all fled. And one Christian said, in the hour of Jesus' suffering, they found Jesus an obstacle to their devotion. They took offense at Him. They weren't expecting this. They had other expectations of what Christianity was going to look like and what following the Messiah was going to look like, and it wasn't this. We didn't sign up for this. And they took offense. They fell away from Jesus They were offended, the King James Version says, because of him. 
They let him down, brothers and sisters. They sinned against him this night. They fell away from Jesus. And all of their resolves, their passionate resolves, came to nothing. Aren't you so thankful, Christ Community Church, that we are saved not by our resolves, but by Christ's resolves, even seen in this passage this evening. They fail Him later on in prayer, showing their great weakness, falling asleep on Jesus in His greatest hour of need. He's pulling them aside. He's appealing to them twice. Please, can you pray with me for one hour? And you've got to understand that the pain that this causes Jesus in His greatest hour of need and His suffering and temptation, He comes back and finds those closest to Him asleep. But even their failing Him, even their sinning, oh, let this encourage your heart, dear friend. Even all that doesn't stop Jesus from saving them in His strength. Their weakness doesn't stop Jesus from saving them in His strength. And may that encourage each and every one of you this morning as you look into your own lives right now and see, as I do, the many times I let down my Lord, the many times I fail Him and bring Him pain even as one of his disciples, aren't you so thankful that Jesus has seen it all and said, I'm going to die for him anyway. I'm going to die for her anyway. Good intentions aren't good enough to save us. All the resolves in the world, I will die for you. I will Keep watch for one hour, unlike others. All of these resolves and self-reliant strength come to nothing, brothers and sisters. But it's never good intentions that save. It's only the perfect execution of obedience that saves. And we get it from one man. Jesus Christ, our substitute, our advocate. He was the perfect one. He executed obedience perfectly. He's the one of whom all of his resolves didn't come to nothing. They were carried through to execution. And friends, therein lies our hope this morning of salvation. Their weakness did not stop Jesus from saving them in his strength. Oh, that God would have loved us like this. To send the good shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. Thank you, Lord. Second point is sorrowful son. Sorrowful son. This begins here, verse 36 in this unit. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane meant an oil press. This was a This was a grove of olive trees that were on the western slopes of Mount Olivet that as you exited the eastern gate of Jerusalem and walked up on the ridge, these olive groves were, and this is where Jesus was this night, praying in agonizing prayer. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he pulled the three with him, his close disciples, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled, the word says. This word sorrowful speaks to a deep emotional pain, a grief, an intense grief. This word troubled speaks to a deep distress. It's the strain that caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden, though that detail is not recorded here in this gospel. The emotional pain was so great, the stress was so great that Jesus says in the next verse, 38, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. One commentator said that this was speaking of 
a sorrow so deep, it almost kills. A sorrow so deep, it almost kills. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, the NIV says. Here was his great hour of intense sorrow that was so deep that it almost killed him. This almost killed him before he got to the cross. And here I just want to encourage you, dear friend, that you have a high priest who is able to sympathize with you in every one of your weaknesses, in every one of your temptations, in every one of your sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. God understands personally any and every sorrow, any and every trouble that you bear. Jesus walked alone, but you and I, friend, will never walk alone, brother, sister. Let this encourage your heart this morning as you're carrying the troubles that you're carrying. Jesus is carrying them with you. It was so great, verse 39 said, that he was collapsing underneath of it. And going a little farther, verse 39, he fell on his face and he prayed. He he almost couldn't even get where he wanted to go. He fell down in such physical weakness and in such spiritual agony. Why? Why? What, what was so hard about this moment? We see it in the prayer that he prayed. Verse 39. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. And then, of course, he goes to the disciples and he finds them sleeping and he he says, could you not pray with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then look at that. He's he's encouraging and instructing the disciples. They've already failed him and let him down. He's trying to bolster them and encourage them. And he's, he's saying encouraging words like, your spirit indeed is willing. I mean, when, when friends and loved ones let you down, you don't tend to necessarily react in this way. We tend to snap quickly at even our loved ones for a a slight momentary letting us down or the way we can yell and get angry at our loved ones, our family, our children, our parents. Jesus here is tested and tempted and tried unlike any human being has ever been tempted and tried in this passage. And yet he's coming out and he's looking out for their spiritual needs and their welfare. And he's calling out to them and saying, the spirit indeed is willing But the flesh is weak. They're showing that their resolves are merely that. The resolves of a sinful man. Unable to bear up underneath the temptation of heavy eyes. Jesus is going into the dark night of the soul here. And he's got nobody with him. And he's so weak at 42. It says again for the second time he went away and prayed. My father... If this cannot pass unless I drink it. Again, he's talking about the cup. What made him so sorrowful and troubled? It was the cup. Your will be done. He says. Your will be done. Brothers and sisters, in this moment he's pondering and contemplating this cup of suffering and death but not just suffering and death. Throughout the Old Testament, the cup is a reference to the cup of God's wrath. Which in Jesus in this moment produced a sorrow so deep that it almost killed Him. Because He who had no sin took all of your sin and brought it onto Himself and became sin. The Holy One Became what he detests and despises and abominates. He took it on himself. As our substitute, he became sin for us. And the wrath of God toward our sins was going to be drunk for us completely by Jesus the next day on the cross. And he's contemplating this. He knows he's going to suffer. And he knows that the suffering is going to be an agony 
no human has ever faced and ever will face. We really are looking at something here, brothers and sisters, that has no illustration. It has no comparison that we can give it, that we can liken it to, so that we can understand it a little bit better. We can't relate to this dark night of the soul that Jesus was going through right here. This was the deepest valley of the shadow of death that anyone had ever faced. And to get just even a little bit of a sense of it, ponder this. If we hadn't, by God's grace, repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, and we died, we would have died in our sin, and we would have gone on into an eternity in hell forever, justly. One sin against an infinitely holy God is an infinite offense. You can never punish it enough. Jesus took the wrath, not just for the sins that I committed and would have suffered throughout eternity in hell for, but all of His people and all of their sins were heaped up upon Him and the great weight that was about to come upon Him sent Him into such a sorrow that it almost killed Him before He got there. But it didn't. It didn't. Good news, brothers and sisters, it didn't. He was fighting alone the disciples resolved, well, you can look and see what the disciples resolved to mount to. They're asleep. He's in agonizing prayer. And three times he prayed the same thing. You know, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this with the Apostle Paul and that verse that many of us in this church, we know it and we love it by heart. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, where Paul says, three times I prayed for God to take the thorn in the flesh away from me and I received this reply. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, at least he got an answer. No answer for Jesus. He prays three times and he gets silence. Because, brothers and sisters, when he's saying, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Please hear this. And marvel and marvel if Jesus was spared in this moment. We couldn't have ever been saved. We couldn't have ever been saved. There would have been no other possible means of salvation except through the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ. Enduring this test, sinlessly, flawlessly. But man, was he tempted, brothers and sisters here. He was squeezed so greatly and was so tempted. If you were ever tempted to just say, man, I, I give up, I'm done. I, it was this moment here, but our Savior courageously presses through in prayer and he prays, if possible, and again, for the second time, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I was so affected and moved by this quote by D.A. Carson. Listen carefully to this. You're going to love this. In the first garden, not your will, God, but mine. Changed paradise to desert. And brought man from Eden to Gethsemane. Now, not my will, but yours. Brings anguish to the man who prays it. But transforms the desert into the kingdom. And brings man from Gethsemane to the gates of glory. Brothers and sisters, he descended down into this dark valley in order to deliver you into the heights. Oh, joy. Joy is salvation. 
glorious, sorrowful son, that you would have gone through this, obeyed underneath of the greatest temptation. And didn't just have good intentions. But had perfect, flawless execution of obedience. And by that perfect obedience, by that perfect righteousness that he earned with his resolves. God the Father, Tom led us in worship so well this morning. We are justified by grace. Grace is free grace for us, but it costs Jesus everything. And brothers and sisters, he willingly went through this and laid down his life on the cross. Suffering and obedient unto death. Even death on the cross. And it's no wonder that in heaven he will be exalted and his name will be praised forever and ever. Because he is the glorious good shepherd and sorrowful son who laid down his life willingly for us. I can't wait to celebrate communion with you in just a moment. And ushers, you can begin to head there now. But there's one more point. And as you prepare your heart for communion and partaking of the Lord's Supper, and contemplate the broken body of our Lord and His shed blood that He was to shed the next day. I want you to also contemplate this third and final point. Loving Father. Loving Father. Ushers, you can come forward and begin to distribute the elements of communion. Let us, church, prepare our hearts. Let us also listen carefully to the truth. The disciples all failed him. Jesus is crying out as the sorrowful son in agony. Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss. And the crowd came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Jesus, in the midst of being seized, In verse 51, Peter reaches out again in self-reliant strength and strikes one of the individuals who is going to strike the shepherd. Jesus heals him and says to Peter, Peter, It's not through coercion that we make followers of me. It's through prayer and persuasion. Put away the sword. Put away your violence. And he talks here about his father's power. Look at verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? A full Roman legion had 6,000 fully armed troops. And Jesus is saying here that as the Lord of hosts, He has on standby 72,000 angels. We know from the Old Testament that there was one angel when Jerusalem was under siege by the Assyrians, one angel put to death 185,000 men in one night. That's one angel. We've got 12 legions. They are on standby. And they cannot understand the amazing love of God that would hear his own son crying out in prayer. 
they were on poise. They were just ready for the green light to go to end all this suffering of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and for all the worship to be restored in this moment that he deserves. But so great was the resolve of Jesus that he did not call out for this power that the Father had. And so great was the resolve of the Father. I was I had the honor the other evening of just being together with Dale and Darla Martin as they were moving into their new home and helping them out a little bit. I, it was such a blessing. When I was moving some supplies, I heard some screaming from their littlest one, Elena. She was in their minivan in the back window of the van that the, the clamp came down on her finger and, and she just was screaming. And I was carrying something. I, I dropped what I was carrying and I ran over to that little girl and I, I, I got her finger free immediately. There was like no hesitation. She's not even my daughter, but there's just this compassion that wells up to want to relieve her of her suffering, though it was lasting only a mere second. How is the father able to adore his son crying out in agony? John 3.16 Behold it in a new way. For God, the Father, so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever might believe in Him might not perish but have eternal life. Behold the determined love of the Father to see this plan of redemption through. Behold the resolve of the Son who's got all of the Father's power to call upon at any moment and to end all this. If anyone was ever tempted to say, I'm done, it's right here. And Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, what's amazing about Jesus here this night is it just reads as The the betrayer is coming to him. Jesus came up and he at once said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus, Jesus met his betrayer. He stepped toward his betrayer. He gets out from agonizing prayer and he courageously steps up and faces his suffering because so great is his love for you. So great is the Father's determined love For you, that as he was seeing his only son crying out, troubled and sorrowful unto death, and has all the power of the world, even twelve legions of angels on standby, and yet does not take this cup of his wrath away from his son, but rather says to his son, and his son willingly embraces the Father's will in perfect obedience, fulfilling all righteousness, which is your salvation through justification. He takes all of the cup of the Father's wrath and He drinks it down completely so that there is nothing left. He is the Passover Lamb who delivers His people from the wrath of God better than the people of Israel were delivered out from the wrath of God the night of the Egyptians' firstborn being slain. This is the great Passover lamb suffering, and this is the father who willingly gives over his son with great love and such determination to love you and save you that he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for you. Brothers and sisters, may we all, the next time we ever are tempted to think that God doesn't care, That God doesn't love us. Let's not have an attitude of what have you done for me lately. Let's have an attitude of I know what you've already done. And I know you love me. And no matter what dark night of the soul you take me in, no matter how deep of a valley you ever take me into, Lord, you went there before me, Good Shepherd. And you laid down your life for me You shed your blood for me. Your body was broken for me. You received the wrath of God and satisfied it for me. You propitiated. You absorbed 
the wrath of God, the justice, the perfect justice of God in my place on the cross. And you willingly said, Lord, let your will be done. I drink that cup. And the Father had him drink it. So great is his love for you. I'm so thankful that we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper two weeks in a row and remember the broken body of our Lord who just before this moment in Gethsemane was with His disciples in the upper room. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, the Word of God says, Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, He broke it and He gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, This is my body. Let us remember the broken body of our Lord, the sorrowful Son. And when He took a cup, And then He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, we are a part of that remnant. We are a part, by God's grace, those of us who have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus. We are amongst the many Jesus talks about here whose sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Let us remember as we partake. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There was one Christian who, as I was studying this passage, just said that the only thing left to do after looking at such love is to enter into a stage of just hushed worship. I love that phrase. Hushed worship. And as we close in worship, that's what we're going to do. Let us close our eyes and bow our heads and let us adore. Let us Express praise and love to the Good Shepherd. Thank Him for laying His life down for the sheep. For you. Let us worship Him, the sorrowful Son, the man of sorrows, who experienced a sorrow so deep because of our sin that it almost killed Him before He got to the cross. Let us worship and adore and thank Him. let us in hushed worship express love and praise and thanksgiving to our loving Heavenly Father who did not spare His only Son, this cup, but rather instead with determined love saved us through the blood of the cross. Let us thank Him. Let us praise Him.
Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for not sparing Your own Son. Jesus, we we thank You that our weakness as Your disciples does not stop You from saving us in Your strength. Thank You for Your courage. Thank You for meeting Your betrayer and meeting those who came out to strike You, Good Shepherd. Thank You for rising up out of the agonizing prayer, falling on Your face to rise up to meet courageously, Lord. This next day that You're about ready to go through of the cross, how can we thank You enough? Oh, sorrowful Son, for enduring the agony of this night and enduring the agony of the cross where you drank the cup of your Father's wrath for our sins. Lord, you did deliver us from an eternity in hell by drinking the cup yourself. And we just want to, as your people, say thank you. We are so grateful that instead of hell, we have... The kingdom. We have the glorious kingdom of heaven awaiting us. Because Jesus, as Adam failed in the first garden, you succeeded and triumphed in the other garden. In the garden of Gethsemane. And we thank you that you were victorious. And you overcame the world. You overcame the devil. You overcame the flesh. Our flesh, which was so weak, and even after we followed you, has been so weak, but you have overcome it all through your shed blood on the cross. And we just want to give you praise for it. We love you so much, and we devote our lives to you. But we thank you so much that we're not saved through our devotion. We're saved through your perfect devotion and the grace that covers us. We love you, and we thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for being such a loving Father, so great is your love for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ Community Church, oh, that God would have loved us like this. Amen. Don't you love him? Don't you love him? Don't you love him? who are getting baptized, I'll meet with you immediately after the meeting. Church, have a wonderful, wonderful day and reflect on all that the Lord has done for you. God bless you.